0: My name is Joseph Borgel, and I'm the president and co-founder of Canadians for Truth. And I have with me a wonderful guest, and and I should every time be saying this, and I consider him a a, a good friend uh, who I got to know uh, in Ottawa. We have with us here Dr. Francis Christian from Saskatoon, a surgeon, and, uh, and much more than that. And so let's talk a little bit because our guests might be just watching this one. Let's talk a little bit again about your short, briefly about your career, Dr. Christian. Yes.
1: Uh, uh, I'm a surgeon uh, and I was a clinical professor of surgery in the University of Saskatchewan. I also was director of the Surgical Humanities Program, uh, essentially, a program that, that Uh, had as its goal the uh, engagement, bringing medical students, residents, nurses, surgeons into an engagement with the humanities, the arts, the uh, poetry, music, um, drama, um, and so on. Uh, And I was director of the uh, quality improvement program of the Department of Surgery um, and the patient safety program. Uh, as part of that, I brought in the National Surgical Quality Improvement Program to the University of Saskatchewan. And uh, it is now, I believe, being rolled out into the entire province. Um, I uh, co-developed an app. It's called the m M&M and app for Android and for iPhone with our computer science department. It is now being used throughout Saskatchewan. Uh, and I was uh, a general surgeon, a trauma surgeon. Um, I I was uh, probably the busiest thyroid surgeon in the province, uh, did abdominal surgery, that sort of thing. Um, and uh, in June of 2021, I had a press conference in which I introduced myself as not representing the university, uh, not speaking on behalf of the Saskatchewan Health Authority. Um, And instead I was speaking to the people in this press conference, which was covered by Global and CTV, uh, which are media organizations. Uh, I I was speaking to people as a human being, a fellow human being, a surgeon, a doctor, uh, a father, and recently and joyfully a grandfather. And in it, I asked for informed consent. Informed consent in the rollout of the COVID-19 vaccine, the experimental injection that was then uh, being pushed on our kids, healthy kids, at warp speed, Uh, a vaccine that they don't need and which can harm them seriously. And uh, I asked for informed consent. And a week later, I was fired from my contract. Essentially, for asking for informed consent. Yeah,
0: uh, unbelievable. eh? Just unbelievable the the times we're living in. To think that in a civilized society governed by the rule of law. Indeed. uh, Where truth in science and truth in journalism are supposed to reign supreme. And for... Doing your job, yes. Uh, quality control, mm-hmm. uh, you lose your job.
1: Patient safety.
0: Yeah, yeah, unbelievable. So if you want to learn more about this, you can go to episode one and two, where Dr. Francis Christian uh, explains more. I believe it's in episode two, where Dr. Christian explains in detail what happened when he went public, uh, asking the people of Saskatchewan, Canada, Uh, parents to do an informed consent decision uh, making sure they did their homework their research before having their children injected with an experimental injection so in this episode here as a result of all of that uh, what happened uh, in starting in January of 20 of this year uh, it seems like years ago now in January of this year Uh, the truckers, uh, Canadian truckers, got fed up with the mandates, right? And so they decided to take matters into their own hands because it was dramatically negatively impacting uh, their trade, uh, being forced to take these injections. And so they uh, were observing what was going on in society as well. And they just said enough and they spontaneously organized you can use the word spontaneous, I'm going to say God inspired them to organize this freedom convoy in Ottawa. And, and uh, while well, I went there uh, as the president uh, and co-founder of Canadians for Truth, we went there as a team. We had Pastor Perry Hubick with us, and Sherry uh, Moan, my girlfriend, was with us. And uh, we had a videographer along with us as well. And so we went and interviewed truckers along the way. That's where I met Chris Barber. Yes. And interviewed truckers along the way. And then when we got to Ottawa, well, I got engaged. I could see what was required, and I engaged in helping to organize a legal peaceful protest. I won't go into that. Mm -hmm. That's not what the essence of this is about here. But uh, that's where, again, uh, I met uh, Dr. Francis Christian you spent time in yes. Ottawa as well and so do you want to... Yes, maybe... uh,
1: that, that's uh, I'm always happy to talk about the trucker uh, convoy uh, because um, it, it it embodied all the essential ingredients of a successful civil disobedience movement. Um, you know people in the West think That if you watch, you know, just walk down a street, ten thousand people, or maybe even like in 2021, I think 150,000 people walked down Dunda Street. uh, That is uh, a protest. No, that isn't. I mean, it is, but it's easily ignored by the media. Yeah. And just walking down a street, uh, you know, once in a while, is not not a protest. Meeting in the city hall, all kinds of people meet in city halls and raise slogans. That's not really a protest. Uh, or a civil disobedience movement. As Gandhi- a Gandhian yes, star. There we go. So yeah. I have an essay in my substack. FrancisChristian.substack.com It's called Why Civil Disobedience? And in it, I defined the three essential parts of an of a successful civil disobedience movement as defined by Gandhi. The first is that it has to be persistent, not over one day or even over two days, but oh but you know day on day and week on week the truckers did that. Where it it disrupts the government, if you will so so they started doing that in January. And so it was or some would say even in December. But Over not one day or two days, over several, it was persistent, it was persistent in the face of government. So, persistence over several weeks, okay. The second essential condition of a successful civil disobedience movement is that it should embarrass the government. Gandhi made sure of that. Uh, You know, uh, in one of the other episodes of our uh, uh, interview, I talked about how Gandhi organized the burning of British textiles. Uh, that the, the, the reason for that is because the the British were brutally suppressing the indigenous um, Indian textiles in favor of the uh, the cheap the cheaper goods from Manchester, and flooding the Indian market with that, and basically destroying the Indian industry. Uh, and. and Gandhi decided to put a stop to that and the bonfires that were lit across India with, the, with burnt British textiles, were seen around the world. Um, and, and, and similarly the Dandi Salt March. So it was done with the express purpose of embarrassing the government. You bet the truckers achieved that too because their movement was reported not just in Canada. But in America, around the world, Trudeau became a laughing stock. You know, when he said these are white supremacists, they saw people like me. I'm supposed to be a white supremacist. You know, a, a brown white supremacist, <laughs> I guess. So, you know, this, these ridiculous things they were saying. And so it, it became a big embarrassment for the government. Second condition was met. The third condition, as def- as as demonstrated by Gandhi's life and movements, was... The willingness to suffer. Uh, you know, every time Tamara Lich was put into prison, she became stronger, just like Gandhi. Uh, you know, every time they persecuted Tamara, uh, the attention of the world was turned to this, uh, this, this, this somewhat frail, uh, uh, mother, sweet young mother, sweet, grandmother, uh, somewhat glamorous young mother. Yeah with no police record who was being pursued by trudeau's uh, police because you know uh, this is another example of totalitarianism where the executive branch that is trudeau and the, uh, uh, the sorry the, the 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 executive branch the legislative branch and the judiciary branch collude and collaborate instead of being separate as it's supposed to be in a democracy uh, executive co- co- colludes with the, legislat- uh, the legislative branch. The, the legislative branch then co- co- colludes with the judicial branch. And, uh, you know, uh, 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 thank God we have some good judges who gave the bail to Tamara Lich. But if you look at the prosecutors uh, in, th- in that case, uh, you, uh, he, he sent a, a homicide detective uh, to go after Tamara across provincial borders uh, when all that she did was appear in a photograph. Um, all, that's what, anyway, so the, the willingness to suffer was demonstrated also by the truckers. Okay. So they ha- they, they, why is it that we don't have mandates in Canada? It's not because Trudeau had a change of heart. It's not because Scott Moore had a change of heart and suddenly became nice people. It's because of the truckers. It's not because of a change of heart of the politicians. And I have another Substack essay, it's called, Why the Trucker is Smarter. Uh, The blue collar guys, including the truckers, understood the science much better than the scientists. You know, one of my uh, friends and colleagues, a guy called Martin Kuldoff, who's uh, out of Yale, uh he's he said recently that in the reformation uh, the the common man understood the bible better than the priests and in the covid pandemic the common man understood science better than the scientists the, the you know the the, the, the trucker uh, understood that what these guys were talking is nonsense uh, this, the, it, it, you know they saw it they looked they saw r- around this vaccine doesn't work doesn't stop transmission, doesn't stop infection, and these mandates were getting in, uh, into place. So, it is because of the truckers and their successful civil disobedience movement yeah. that uh, we have, uh, and I would argue that it became a snowballing effect around the world uh, that uh, these, these mandates started being lifted. Uh, and, and, you know, look, I uh, I look at uh, lockdowns, for example. Okay, lockdowns will probably never be acceptable again. Okay, Mass are on a self-destructive course, uh, which is good. Um, the last statistic I heard was 83% of Canadians had not had a single shot. Uh, you know, first, second, third booster. I think we're on the fifth or sixth booster now. Uh, We're not talking about the Canadians who were sort of fooled into injecting themselves with this stuff Mm -hmm. Before the six months, but in the last six months more than 80% of Canadians have not had a single shot. They know it doesn't work Right, so How do they know that? I mean the work you're doing the work? I'm doing the work the truckers have done is bearing fruit. Yes. Thank God for that. Yes if I may I just
0: cannot resist at this time to ask you about masks, because you're a surgeon, and so you wear masks yes. as a surgeon. Yes. So, do you want to explain to people uh, about masks in your
1: words? Right. So, uh, first of all, uh, the kind of masks that were being uh, uh, that were being uh, proposed by health authorities—they don't work. Okay. Even the N95 mask, the, the, the top-level mask that we... I actually looked after COVID patients before I was fired from my contract. We operated on patients who were testing positive and all that. Uh, and we wore the N95s. But even that, it doesn't completely protect you. But when it comes to masks, we have to look at risks. Okay? So, uh, the risk of a healthy young child contracting and dying of COVID is negligible. Actually negligible. Statistically zero. Statistically zero. Uh, And about 3,000 times less a risk than an 80 plus year old woman uh, or man. So to put kids under a mask was child abuse. Okay? Uh, Because kids uh, they relate by seeing each other's expressions. When you're a teenager, you want to impress the other teenagers by your face primarily, and then by other things. And this episode of mask, uh, you know, hypnosis, which the which which the population went under, uh, was essentially uh, an abuse of childhood. Okay, Uh, and then so, do they work? So there are some studies that show that they uh, they may work. They may have a sort kind of a seven to ten percent uh, reduction of infection. Uh, that doesn't necessarily translate to reduction of mortality. But society has to decide <coughs> what is the level of risk it's worth worth taking. Okay. So if you want no risk at all, you can lock yourself in a sterile room. Never go out for any business at all. Never see the sun. Never see. Just go and lock yourself up in a room. That becomes the least risk of all. So, what is the level of risk? So, for example, in kids, it's very important that they get infections. Respiratory. The kids have wonderful immune systems. And if they don't get infections, uh, respiratory infections included, Their immune system is not challenged enough, and that's been shown, and the evidence shows that. Uh, So, uh, just locking kids up, locking our young people up, uh, putting masks on people, um, is a type of control, is a type of uh, way in which the powers that be were signaling their ability to control the population. I was on a flight uh, today from Calgary and it was wonderful to see that 99% of the passengers didn't have a mask. There was one uh, person, obviously had, has crazy ideas, had an N95 mask on, uh, but she was a standout. Uh, and, and so the public knows now that these things don't work. And, you know, the way you and I have been observing the way people are wearing masks is they wear it, then you're supposed to take it off when you're eating, so when uh, apparently the, the virus just stops when you're eating. And then when you get up, it, it starts again. Uh, you know, this, the, this, is, this is complete nonsense, yeah. uh, and the public knows that, Yeah. right? So as a surgeon, you would wear masks. Why? Not, yes. to, not to prevent so, viruses? Actually, very interestingly, there are studies, even in the surgical literature, Showing that masks don't work, okay, uh, but we do wear masks, uh, and and there are there are several reasons for that. One is, um, you know, uh, when operating, uh, there are body fluids of yeah. the of the patient that can come onto you. Yeah, like uh, as a trauma surgeon, for example, I've operated on, uh, uh, you know, uh, hundreds of cases where uh, you open the abdomen and it's full of blood and Uh, Just to give you an example and you don't want that to come into your face right so so that would be the primary reason To do that within a hospital setting. I think masks have a big role Uh, But I'm talking about masking the public to prevent viral infection Uh, that uh, And and to masking the public and especially masking kids is completely useless
0: so again, I'm just I'm sorry for pressing you on this but I I understand is it true that when you're when as a surgeon you're in surgery uh, that the room is pressurized yes. uh, to 23 percent oxygen
1: uh, 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 yes it's 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 negative pressure so, they put in it they so, pressurize so, uh, it so, so that then, you get more oxygen no the negative pressure is meant to uh, to have a net effect of air going outwards okay so in other words, it doesn't just accumulate oh. uh, in the
0: and and do they yeah. pressurize? Do they bring the oxygen level up to twenty three percent?
1: Not in the room itself. You okay? Uh, but 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 the but the uh, the flow systems are su- uh, are such that air is is made to go away from the okay. operating room. Okay. Yes. Okay.
0: Yes. Okay. Yeah. I was just curious about that. Yeah. yeah.
1: And and all that contributes too. Yeah. Uh, but you know. Uh, the, the masking of the general public, that's what we're uh, talking about uh, when we talk about COVID pandemic-related yeah. masking. That had absolutely no sense, especially in young people. Yeah. yeah. No sense. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, uh, it was tantamount to child abuse. Right. Right. So
0: maybe just switching gears a bit here, when you were in Ottawa, like I, I had interviewed there you and yes. Dr. Byron Bridle, I had yes. the privilege... The honor and privilege of interviewing both of you there. Yeah. And uh, that got a lot of views that, yes, I, I yes, mean, you yes. impressed, you and Dr. Bridal impressed a, a lot of people there. Uh, you know, we bumped, we rubbed shoulders when we were in uh, Ottawa. You were there for about how long were you there? Uh,
1: I think about 10 days. 10 days?
0: Yeah. And you were treating people. I know when... Well, uh, uh, you, I, I wasn't...
1: Uh, uh, you were know, giving counsel? I, I, I was giving advice. Yeah, advice. Uh, on... Yeah. on, uh, on 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 what to do if yeah. pe- if if people got ill yeah uh, and and I was happy to do that mm-hmm uh, and you know there there were simple remedies uh, in um, over the counter medications yeah people could take yeah uh, quercetin yeah than zinc vitamin and D zinc vitamin D and advising people to keep their vitamin D levels up yeah because that's been shown to yeah uh, but you know it I was happy to be there and to actually do that
0: yeah. So, what you observed in Ottawa, did you observe uh, an occupation or did you observe a legal, peaceful protest? What did you observe there?
1: Uh, So, 100% it was legal, it was peaceful, and I didn't see a single act of violence. And this is part of the problem with modern society, isn't it? Uh, at the at the at the commission of inquiry into the em- emergency act, I heard the the um, the lawyer for the for the so-called residents of Ottawa, which itself is a misnomer, because I met lots of residents in Ottawa who supported the convoy. Uh, you met a lot of residents who supported the convoy. Uh, uh, to give you an example, there was a lady who's originally from Saskatchewan. Who was who was from Ottawa bringing home-cooked meals every day for the truckers you know and 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 that's just one example but- I
0: had one example I had uh, a lady a young woman uh, heard that I needed some clothes washed and she washed my clothing and brought them back and she would take nothing and I had left a dollar in one of my uh, a $1 coin in a, a, toon, a loony in right. one of my pockets. She gave that back to me with a note. I've kept it, and she could not thank the truckers enough right. for what they did yes. to to help the residents of Ottawa. Right. Uh, we so both we both sat with uh, our good friend at the uh, um, the cafe. Uh, uh,
1: yes, uh, the iconic cafe. Iconic cafe,
0: yes. and. Uh, I hope we get to meet him again someday. Yes, indeed. He Uh, the business was booming. Yeah, he said it saved his business. He was three months behind in his in his rent, and and he was booming. Yeah, and they tried to force him to shut down. Correct. So these people of Ottawa that are saying that it was the Ottawa Freedom Convoy that was bankrupting uh, these. No, and
1: so you know the. uh, the, 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 the the lawyer uh, uh, I was talking about this or uh, people of Ottawa people of Ottawa lawyer um, uh, this is what I was telling you about Joseph. The problem with society is that they define certain terms for themselves. It has no reference to, to transcendent truth, it has no reference to criminal law. So uh, on, when pressed on the question that whether uh, under the criminal law code of Canada, any violence was committed, the the Ottawa uh, lawyer responded, no. However, he said, they felt violence. So, it's like you know, uh, it's it's a bit like saying today, I feel I am uh, King Charles II. <laughs> Uh, So, you have to call me uh, Your Majesty. Yeah, you identify as King Charles. I identify as King Charles. (laughs) So, this is the problem with our society. They identify things for themselves. So, although no violence was there under the criminal code, they felt violence. And what is the violence they felt? Honking. Honking. (laughs) Horns. Horns was violence for them. Okay? All they had to do is close their windows, or if they didn't like it. <laughs> well, and, and not only that. The the uh, you know after that injunction, uh, the haunts fell silent at, at night anyway. Yeah. So the 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 fact is, the defining of their own little pliable versions of truth is a feature of woke society today. It's a feature of the postmodern civilization yeah. that we have inherited. Yeah, that's a good way to put yes. it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, that uh, you know the. They've, uh, what else was violence? When they came out, the truckers would 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 try to talk them out of wearing a mask. So is that violence? No. So uh, you know, they, this is the kind of things that that people were saying. But what I saw there was completely peaceful. Having a, it was a great time for Canada. Uh, one of the things that scared the prime minister was that he realized this is not just the truckers it is a Canada wide movement yeah M- literally millions they, of people yeah the truckers and the people
0: that supported them <clears throat> that went to ottawa the hundreds of thousands if not millions of people were galvanizing yes. all canadians
1: of, of all of all backgrounds uh, i uh, went into one of the few restaurants that was open and i was sitting down and uh, you know, uh, so I, you know, I I met some people from Ontario uh, and, and we were having some coffee together. And, and, and just at the time I was saying that, you know, you were saying that it, it, I'm not a white supremacist and I'm feeling very, the, the guy from Ontario was saying, I'm very offended that, that the prime minister says I'm a white. I said, I'm even more offended because I'm brown. I'm supposed to be a white supremacist. And then a, 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 a black guy walks in and says, I'm a black white supremacists. So we yeah, had people from all backgrounds yeah. Oh, yeah. joining in yeah. in a common Canadian common sense movement for freedom yeah. for liberty for truth. Yeah. And that really scared the heck out of the prime yeah. minister. Yeah. You know. So no, I didn't see any violence at all, but uh, if I may, that is the one of the big illnesses of modern society. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um Looking uh, for truth beyond oneself, transcendent truth, is what has defined our Christian civilization for 2,000 years, right? So, uh, in other words. That's really important what
0: you said there. It's helping me to realize something, you know. You call it transcendent truth, is truth outside yourself. Like indeed. looking for truth and how it
1: impacts yes. others and the world. Correct. Not just all about me. Absolutely. So, uh, there's a verse in the scriptures where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, uh, and the life. And he is transcendent. He is God himself. So this is the source of truth for Christian civilization for 2,000 years. And in that 2,000 years, uh, and, and I like to use the word Christian civilization, not Western civilization, because if the influence of Christ had been the same, in Africa, the results would have been the same too. So, uh, in this Christian civilization of 2000 years, we looked for truth beyond ourselves. Isaac Newton, our greatest scientist ever, looked for truth beyond himself. He realized that what he was doing was a very small part of the transcendent truth waiting to be discovered. Uh, And then came the Enlightenment, uh, where uh, they said everything can be explained rationally uh, so uh, you don't need transcendent truth; you just need your rational reasoning, uh, and that led to the French Revolution, the, the Reign of Terror, when people actually were guillotined for speaking the truth. So uh, th- then uh, we came to the uh, Romantic uh, movement in literature, art, and so on, which was a revolt against rationalism, where they said, "You know, can't you can't explain everything rationally." Uh, you, uh, you, the, the, there is something inexpressible in poetry, in in song, in in the reaching out for to the stars, to 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 truth himself, God himself, uh, and 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 so in the Victorian age, uh, there came it came together uh, uh, reason and truth. And uh, you, you may have your own ideas about Queen Victoria, and I think in in especially to the later part of her reign. Uh, She became quite tyrannical and and she had a very mixed record. But the Victorians were brilliant people. And we, uh, you and I, and Western Civilization actually uh, are living the legacy of that brilliant contribution to civilization. Uh, They, uh, you know, uh, it was during the Victorian era that the telegraph was invented, the postage stamp, the steam engine, um, we're talking the 18th century The ni- 19th century. 19th right? century. And then there was an interlude when uh, rationalism mm-hmm. came back with, uh, yeah, because the communists were rationalists. Okay? Karl Marx was a child of the Enlightenment. Uh, they had a rational reason for sending the bourgeois uh, people, the, the landowner, to, uh, to the gulag or to the execution. It was all rationally built, the class struggle and all that. Uh, and uh, sixty million people were killed because of this rational approach. Because without any reference to God and transcendent truth yeah. and, and and romance. Yeah. And then you had uh, the Nazi system. That was a system again that rationally said the Jews inferior, the Slav is in the Pole is inferior, the Russian is inferior race, and therefore must uh, the, the the gay uh, guys are inferior, the disabled are inferior. So you had this this the shocks to the system and then came the postmodern movement in the 50s you know people like foucault and derrida and lacan and that's the legacy we're living through so they said okay you don't need rational you don't need truth you don't you can create your own truth uh, that was the essence of postmodernism your you can you, you have you can create your own local pliable individual version of truth. And that's why nowadays people say, oh yeah, but this is my truth. Okay? And these guys have taken over our universities. And that is why, uh, you know, uh, the, for example, the teachers who are teaching our kids uh, nonsense uh, about gender roles and so on, they came through this system. Two generations of, of, of teachers have been trained by these postmodernists, yeah. who for whom transcendent truth doesn't exist. It's only truth within yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can make it up. You make it up. Make make it up. It's make up. And, and during the COVID pandemic it was the same. We would present the evidence uh, and they would say no yeah but that's my truth. Yeah. You know uh, this uh, we don't really care what you're saying. Yeah. And then if the evidence was too strong they just stopped counting. Yeah. So uh, this is part of the disease of postmodernism as I call it. Uh, uh, postmodernism of course is, is is known as a as, as a philosophy. But it has infiltrated our universities, our ways of learning, our methods of learning. And unfortunately, but but society is pushing back. And that pushback started with the truckers, the blue-collar workers, who who have much more common sense than the university types. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well... I mean, it's great, uh, we could go on, and we'll probably be doing more of these, but again, I really want to thank you, Dr. Christian, That's for coming kind, out. Very kind of.: you, And, and judge uh, of, yeah. This was a great chat about the Ottawa Freedom Convoy. Yes, you yes. got to witness it out of course, there Yes. So it's great to have uh, men of high moral character and competency out there witnessing, and, and in the ways that you could, you supported the truckers. You, you, uh, you and a group of doctors yeah. spoke out. Dr. Paul Alexander yes, was yes. there. Dr. Uh, Eric Roger. Payne. Yeah, Eric, Dr. Eric Payne and Dr. Roger Hodkinson yes, were all there absolutely. observing and, and yes, speaking out. Absolutely. So. Yeah. So that th- was our duty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So thank you very much, thank uh, you. Uh, Dr. Christian, again. Pleasure so, being here. Yeah, thank you. So if you want to uh, see more about Dr. Uh, Christian and in these interviews, you can go. This is the third uh, in a series here that we're doing today. Uh, you can go to uh, uh, one, uh, episode one, uh, uh, where I talk about, uh, Dr. Francis Christian's life, or episode two, uh, you can, uh, listen to what Dr. Francis, Francis Christian, what he went through when he talked about, uh, informed consent in part two, and, uh, and so we'll, uh, we'll wrap up there. Uh, the other thing you can do. Is uh, you can uh, if you want to read more of uh, Dr. Francis Christian's brilliant essays, he has a Substack, FrancisChristianSubstack.com. Uh,
1: FrancisChristian.Substack. Oh
0: yeah, I'm sorry, FrancisChristian. Dot substack. Dot. dot substack. Dot com. Dot com.
1: That's right. So you can um, read. You can also buy. My, they can also buy my book of poems. Okay. Um, what is the and name? The, the, the name of the book is very easy to remember. It's called "To a Nurse Friend Weeping." To
0: a nurse friend weeping. Yes. And is it available, like yes. on? Yes. Uh, if
1: you Google "To a Nurse Friend Weeping," it'll take you to my publisher's web website. Okay.
0: So, to yeah. a nurse, is it the, the number two or the uh, letter? T O T O two. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I got you. Yeah. To a nurse friend weeping. Weeping. Yes. Okay, to get your book. And so you can watch these uh, film at canadiansfortruth.ca. And it, I mean, if you like what we're doing at canadiansfortruth.ca, if you like what we're doing, uh, please consider becoming a member, or if you can afford, you could become a sponsor. Uh, we, we're all operating on uh, donations and people donating money to, to run these studios and what we're doing at Canadians for Truth. So thank you for being with us, thank you.